This is Session 7 of Stress Management, a weekly podcast on biblical character traits that help people cope with difficult trials. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In the seventh episode, we will examine the role of determination in stress management. First, as it is demonstrated in the Old Testament story of a woman named Rizpah, and then as it is affirmed in verses from the New Testament. This story spans 400 years and has three parts. So after part one, we'll skip to part three, then back up and look at part two a bit. So come with me to around 1400 BC, And we have the Israelites that have been released from captivity in Egypt. They have traveled for 40 years through the wilderness, and then they have entered the land of Canaan that God had originally promised to their ancestor Abraham. And they have obeyed God's voice to conquer and defeat two cities, the city of Jericho and the city of Ai. So now we're in Joshua chapter 9. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Well, this people of Gibeon were almost due west of Jericho and pretty close, maybe 20 miles, 30 miles at the most. The Israelites said to the Hivites, perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked them, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. A couple of major mistakes there. They did not inquire of the Lord in verse 14, and then they went on to ratify it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So, of course, they would fall into this group of people that God had said to conquer and defeat and to destroy. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephira, Beareth, and Kariath-Jerim. 
But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this may be a bit puzzling to us today because a contract in today's world that is made under false pretenses is typically not enforceable. But the key here is that the people of Israel had used the Lord's name and sworn what they would do. So regardless of what the other side had said, they felt duty-bound, morally bound, to keep their word. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day, he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. When you go back and see what the Gibeonites originally said to Joshua and his assistants, they repeatedly said, we are your servants. And so their penalty for this ruse was that they really did become servants, but they were okay with that because they knew they had been spared from death. So that was part one. That's our backstory. It doesn't mention today's main character, the woman Rizpah. But now, come with me to the reign of King David. He was the second of the kings of Israel, and it's about the year 990 BC, something like that. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 21. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house, it is because he put the Gibeonites to death. So let me set the scene for you. It's probably about 30 years after King Saul, during his reign, had wiped out some of the Gibeonites, breaking the word of the Israelites to always protect them. Saul is dead, and God is holding the nation accountable for this breach of covenant, so even if it's not Saul, someone has to pay. And note also that David had the wisdom to recognize that a year or two of famine might be attributable to chance. But three successive years was a warning from God that something was off. And so when he asked him why, the Lord clearly showed him. So this part two that I was referring to is actually the part where Saul wiped out the Gibeonites. And we get a review of that as we continue the story in 2 Samuel 21. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. David asked the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? How shall I make atonement so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? So he puts the ball in their court. He's going to find out what retribution they might require or reparations they might require. The Gibeonites answered him, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. What do you want me to do for you? David asked. 
They answered the king, As for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said, I will give them to you. Now in the Torah we read where a man was not to be held accountable for the sins of his father, but these Gibeonites are not technically Jews, and David has already told them that he will do whatever they require. And so he turned over live these descendants of Saul. The king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. So when Saul and Jonathan were still alive and David was best friends with Jonathan, David and Jonathan made an oath. Jonathan knew that he would not live to be king over Israel and that David had been anointed by the prophet Samuel and would become the king after Saul. And so he said, be good to my descendants. And David had promised to do so. But we continue. The king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Aya's daughter Rizpah, whom she had borne to Saul, together with the five sons of Saul's daughter Merib, whom she had borne to Adriel, son of Barzillai the Mahalathite. In other words, King Saul had a daughter, Merib, who gave birth to five sons. And those sons, grandsons of Saul, were turned over to the Gibeonites as part of the seven descendants that were to be killed to make reparation for this terrible slaughter that Saul had authorized. And then... Saul also had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, and she had borne him two sons, and their names were Armoni and Mephibosheth. Now, this is not the same as Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the grandson that David had promised to be good to. This was the son Mephibosheth. And so two sons of his concubine Rizpah, and Rizpah is the main character in our story, and five grandsons, children of the daughter Merib. He handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed them and exposed their bodies on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. So imagine what this must have actually been like. At some point, some military man, some military police must have knocked on the doors of these men, put them under arrest, and here they are, wide-eyed and in complete shock, and they're told that the king has authorized their execution for the sins long ago of their father or grandfather, King Saul, something he did three decades ago. What a strange and awful thing. And so the mother of two of these descendants, Armoni and Mephibosheth, is Rizpah. And her anguish is really hard to imagine. Not only is she in shock, but 
this is all she has left. She was once the concubine to the king, and he's long dead, and she had these sons, and now they're going to be killed too. So they didn't do anything wrong, but they're killed, and they're hung out in shame. So they're not even given a proper burial. So their corpses are exposed. Rizpah, daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on a rock. From the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds touch them by day or the wild animals by night. So imagine taking a sackcloth and basically setting it up like a campsite and watching over the bodies of your dead sons, not even wrapped up, for about five months or until the autumn rains, which began in October. So that woman maintained a vigil on a rock perhaps with a campfire at night to help uh, shoo away the wild animals. And I don't know if she had enough money that she had servants and maybe they were with her and helped her or if she just did this by herself. But surely it must have been hot during the day or perhaps cold at night. But she watched over them from about the time of the Passover in April until sometime in October. Unbelievable. What determination. She didn't know how it was going to turn out, but she simply decided that she was not going to let wild animals tear up the bodies of her sons, even though they couldn't have a proper burial. When David was told what Aiah's daughter Rizpah Saul's concubine had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. They had stolen their bodies from the public square at Beth Shan, where the Philistines had hung them after they struck Saul down on Gilboa. Okay, so Saul and his son Jonathan, which had been David's best friend, they had never had a proper burial either. David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish at Zelah and Benjamin and did everything the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. What an amazing story about one of the most incredibly stressful situations recorded in God's Word. So here is a woman who had two sons, and one day they were arrested for something that they did not do and executed just like that. And then, instead of being wrapped up and buried, they were hung up for all to see in shame. And she was left with really nothing. And she made a decision in the midst of that awful stress and then carried it through that brought relief and a harvest that was really a reward for all of her work. 
And so it seems to me that there is a three-part roadmap here for how a person can cope with stress by using determination. The first thing that she did was decide her destination. In other words, she was determined that those sons' bodies were not going to be torn apart and their bones carried off. Romans 12, 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. She had that fervency, that absolute motivation deep down inside to take care of a certain thing. You know, George Classen once said, where the determination is, the way can be found. And I remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You think he's talking about motivation there, determination? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.13, And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. After she made that decision, she did what she had decided. Someone once said, If you're going through hell, keep going. Now think about her particular circumstances. These bodies begin to decay. And so even if they aren't torn apart by animals, the flies are everywhere, and there's all kinds of decay going on inside as bacteria attack them, and they look bad, and they smell horrible, and they're swinging on the ropes that they have been tied with, and those ropes are weakening day by day. She has to go out there with a stick every time a buzzard appears and yell and shoo them off. And at night, maybe she hears the animals coming. I don't know what animals were necessarily indigenous to that area, but maybe some kind of wild dogs and other predators who would come and feed on carrion. And she is shooing them away from her son's bodies and the five sons of the daughter Merib. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who hope in or wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 1, 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul told the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And she did. Without knowing that this was eventually going to get back to King David and then he would take care of everything, but the Lord saw her determination and had pity on her and moved David to take this step. And the final result was a harvest for all of that determination and hard work. 
reminds me of what Paul told the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If anybody should have become weary in their task, it would have been her. Week after week after week, I don't know what she thought was ever going to happen to end this, but she just simply picked herself up day after day and kept on going. Jesus made an interesting prophecy about the end time in Matthew 24. And in verses 12 and 13, he says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So who is it that reaps the harvest? Is it the one that plants a nice garden, but then gets a little tired of it, and two or three weeks later stops watering it and stops weeding it? Or is it the person who stays with it and continues on until the absolute time for the harvest? If Rizpah had grown weary of that vigil a month after she was into it, those bodies would probably simply have decomposed in the open and been carried off piece by piece. She had to keep on until... James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. There's a harvest for you, the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So the bottom line is Rizpah is a beautiful example of how you can use determination to cope with stress. When you have a very difficult situation, you decide your destination, and then you do what you decided, and then you expect to eventually delight in the results. How comforting and how marvelous must it have been for her the day those bodies were taken down and wrapped up respectfully and buried in the family tomb. It didn't bring her sons back, and she still missed them, and it was still sad but it was relief and it was recompense for her determination. So in the same way, whether you're keeping a garden like we just talked about or in school and trying to get to a graduation day or working on some much needed health changes that will result in weight loss or maybe better physical condition because you're trying to exercise or whether you're raising children and hoping that they will become responsible adults, if you are determined when things get stressful and you decide and then you do what you decided and you keep on, you can expect to delight in the harvest. God bless you and if you have been helped by this podcast, pass it on.